0: Hi, and welcome to Having New Eyes, a podcast to help you look at things differently, to think, to reflect, to ask questions. The real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. Marcel Proust. And now here's your hosts, Bob Hotard and Jim Jones. Everybody's talking about how the world's gonna
1: end. Everyone, welcome to episode two. I'm Bob Hotard in San Antonio, Texas. And I'm Jim Jones in Brookline, Massachusetts, bumping up right next to Boston. Each week, we're going to take a look at a topic in our podcast and possibly provide some new eyes, some new perspectives, a new view, a different way of looking at some of the topics in our current events. I don't know about anybody else, but... I feel like I need to wear a flat jacket each day because it's like waves and waves of incoming news about coronavirus or what's happening in the sports world or what's happening in the political world or current events uh, across the ocean. But what we will do is take a look at this idea of identity, how we as people define ourselves, which includes also our behaviors, and each week maybe provide a perspective for the listener to this podcast that might make them think, well, yeah, I never thought about it that way. So that when they're looking at a news item, a current event, they might find themselves connecting to it in a much deeper and thorough way rather than just a bunch of facts in black and white printed on a page. Could be exciting, could be something new. Let's give it a shot.
2: Great, great. I'm glad you said that, Jim, because I, I think what we've talked about before, really identity is going to be the underlying theme uh, actually through the whole podcast, but for sure this this first season. But this week, we're going to talk about integrity. And, you know, so how do you define integrity? To me, the first thing that comes to mind is, well, that's just doing what's right. But well, what does is, what is doing what's right mean? And in doing what's right in whose mind? what is what's right? How do you define integrity? Just off the cuff, top of your head.
1: Well, you know, if we could go back in time and be really creative, we could have this same podcast with Socrates and Plato sitting at a table <laughs> with microphones in front of them. Because this idea of looking at what makes a good person, what makes a person someone with integrity? is something that originated, as far as we know, back with them when they were exploring this idea. It seems like it's a a human quest to figure out, how can I be a person of integrity? And oddly enough, when we talk about qualities in human beings, we can talk about, can you define honesty? Oh, yes. And they can talk incident that they've seen where honesty occurred. Or could you define courage? Oh, yes. When that firefighter went into that fire and everything. But integrity it gets a little vague. We know it's something good. We know that it's something high, it's gold plated. But if you said, "Well, make a list of the five times that you saw integrity this week." That would be hard for a lot of people. One of my first encounters with integrity was back a couple of decades ago when I was asked to speak at a integrity conference on policing in uh, Washington, D.C. Janet Reno of the Department of Justice was very interested in reiterating police officers and everybody in law enforcement about how important it was to be people who adhere to certain qualities, certain things like honor and honesty and justice and courage and being ethical, which come under the umbrella of integrity. And in speaking that day, it wasn't to convince them, here's a list of things you ought to do to have integrity. It was to do what we're doing, kind of explore and look into our own lives and current events of what's happening so that we might work around this topic of integrity and maybe bring us closer to being able to do it ourselves or to act like people who have integrity in what they do. So with that in mind, I went down to Washington and I was very pleased that there were many people who wanted to explore that topic because they know that with their identity, particularly in policing, you're the ones that uphold things. You have principles. The only problem is when you have principles is principles and be challenged, as we're going to talk about today. And so as we begin to explore in this episode, I hope that we will enlighten to some of our listeners what exactly integrity is, what it means to them, and how, when they confront certain dilemmas that arise, that they might have a a better insight about how to deal with that. I'll, I'll mention that I'm a person who's very interested in the arts. I love film. I think I learned how to hold a cigarette watching Humphrey Bogart do it on film. I'm revealing my age here. I think I learned how to be, or act anyway, be a little suave, to be around the opposite sex by watching, you know, people like iconic figures like Gary Cooper and and, uh, Jimmy Stewart and everything. So I was very moved when, again, a couple of decades ago, I saw the film Serpico. It was about a young police officer named Frank Serpico, and it begins at graduation at a police academy. And the police commissioner is standing in front of these young, eager recruits in rows and rows and rows saying, you will uphold integrity and honesty and many of these qualities, which will make you a person that the community can trust. And I thought, Wow. That's a lot of weight to put on someone. Years later, as a teacher and instructor at the Boston Police Academy, I remember the very first time I walked into the doors of the academy and on the steps leading up to the room where we're going to be presenting, where people first enter, they see the word integrity that's painted into the steps as you go up the risers and it says, integrity is our greatest pursuit. And I thought, wow, whatever this word is, when someone first walks in here, they know that it's important. So I am imbued with this idea of integrity, this concept of integrity, because of my own teaching background, my own experiences. And certainly, I hope by today, one of the things that uh, people will be able to see is, is that they also have their own brushes with integrity and trying to adhere Certain principles. I think we all want to do that because we consider ourselves people who have certain values.
2: You know, you 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 mentioned film, but I, I think you know you can find integrity in music. Is it the difference between an artist who just wants to sing or just wants to play other people's music? And sure, that's reputable. That's something many of us could only dream of doing. But then there's artists who write not only their music, but their lyrics, and then work on it to perform. Uh, there's that 10,000-hour uh, theory of, of how the Beatles practice and practice the, the stones. Most every group that uh, reaches quite a bit of stardom has to have that time where they, they put in their dues. Is that having musical integrity? And could the same thing be uh, related to in sports? Are you just going through the motions or are you being that athlete that is completely dedicated to their craft? Is that integrity, or is it? That's uh, I, I wonder. When, can you apply that in both of those in both of those examples?
1: In many different professions, whether you're in sports, or you're in politics, or you're the mayor of a city, or you're a parent, or any type of role that we fulfill, whether it's written or unwritten we have certain kind of codes that we live by. It's just a part of what we do within society. I remember raising my right hand and putting my fingers so that two of them stuck up and you know the scout code when I was in the scouts and it was trustworthy, loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous kind. Look at me, I can still remember that stuff even though it was years ago. And I think it applies also with artists. The challenge is, even though artists might have their own code or principles to live by. Artists can be such free spirits. Some artists would say, yes, I can use taboo subjects. I can be an artist that portrays pornographic ideas and concepts. I can be an artist through my rap music that uses what might be too explicit language for some people. I might be an artist who, like in during the civil rights movement, that makes protest songs when you talk about music. Or a more recent example might be the Dixie Chicks who get scorned because they choose to use their art and their music as a platform to speak against political issues or leaders that they don't agree with. So it's very open-ended and very different in terms of being an artist because all artists can also have a point of view, Bob.
2: And like we've said before, it relates back to their identity. Is that part of their identity? So let's talk about uh, some current events related to integrity this week. What, what have you seen recently that, stu- that stood out to you in the, in the news, in your newsfeed or things that you've come across?
1: Let me count the ways, Bob. <laughs> you know that with my new eyes, which are really old eyes, but they've been looking at this every time I turn around, I'm looking at it. As a matter of fact, I'm just reading today about our mayor. Our mayor in Boston is a man who has some principles. Hey, look, when you they take oaths. They stand up and they raise a hand and say, I'm going to be fair. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to lead the community. I'm going to make sure that they're safe. Well, now, because of his identity as a person of integrity, our mayor has to make some choices. He canceled one of the biggest events at this time of year in Boston, and that's the South Boston St. Patrick's Day Parade.
2: Oh, my gosh. Brother,
1: the Irish have a history in Boston that goes back... Decades and decades and decades and to have that parade canceled because the mayor feels that one of the tenets that he has to stand by is the safety of the people. And perhaps a gathering that large might contribute to spreading the coronavirus.
2: So let me jump right in here. Uh, strangely enough, guess guess what our mayor is doing right now? What's that? Trying to decide about Fiesta, because Fiesta doesn't come Fiesta San Antonio week-long celebration, the end of April. It's too soon. He has a dilemma now. Does he move early and cancel it and be, so to speak, that mayor or that type of leader? Or does he say, let's wait and let's see, could we uh, select different events or leave it to the uh, leadership of those different de- events to decide whether to go on or not. Similar uh, challenge. In fact, he was also in the news recently, and this made the national news, because it was kind of one of these first examples of someone who was in quarantine here in San Antonio at, at Wilford Hall Medical Center from one of the groups of um, people that were detained from uh, the uh, ships that were exposed to the coronavirus, well, the person had been exposed to the virus past two of the three tests or three of the four, but didn't have the results back from the fourth, or they thought it was negative. So she was released. Well, so what does she do? She, first time she's been free, quote unquote, for weeks or months, I don't know how long, most likely weeks, and uh, let's say days and weeks. So she goes, checks into a hotel near the airport and goes shopping at one of our most popular malls. Well, then they get the results back. And they find out that uh, the fourth or third or fourth test is positive for coronavirus. So now the mayor has to step in. In addition to the, you know, the certainly the protocol of the of the mall, the famous North Star Mall in San Antonio with the big boots out on the highway. Yes, they have to close down and do a deep cleaning. But the mayor has to step in and say, you know, look, this is this isn't right. We should not this should not have happened on our watch. The CDC messed up. And here's why I want to bring this story up. When it was through, when it was done, when everything was fine, he goes to, to – uh, and of course, yes, this is a political play on his part. But he goes to North Star Mall. He eats at the food court and stands out by the boots and takes a, takes a picture with his arms wide open. Look, I'm, I'm fine, at least so far. Uh, but, you know, you think, well, yes, OK, that's playing the, playing the politics. But I think it's also a movement of integrity you know, he he didn't have to do that. He could have just swept it under the rug, or he could have just said, just, you know, quack, quack, complain, this isn't right, blah, 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 and then we go on with our lives. You know, on the one hand, I think, yes, like I said, it's a political ploy, but on the other hand, it's also an act, I guess, of integrity, because he's showing, look, this is the right thing to do in this instance.
1: You know, our mayor certainly is a, a likable guy, but at the same time, he knows, as many of us, whether we've examined it or not, when you have a certain identity like mayor and people trust you to adhere to certain principles and you make choices, you might ruffle people's feathers because of those choices which you believe will keep you adhering to principles that make life good for all. Now he is considering the shame of all shames, canceling. Boston Marathon. Mm. Another big tradition. Oh, man. What are the consequences? Well, the first thing is economic loss. He will now, in the eyes of some people, alienate all the people with businesses that have a great surge whenever the marathon is in town. The other consequence could be that now people will say, well, I don't know if I want him to serve another term because look at the choices that he makes, given a big enjoyment that I travel from out of town. I had relatives fly in so we could have this event. I've trained for a whole year to be in this event.
2: Right. What about the athletes? Yeah, exactly.
1: Exactly. So as again, we're saying is, is that sometimes identity cannot be an easy path to follow if you want to uphold the integrity of your principles. And you know what? You don't have to be a mayor. I grew up with a parent during an era where spanking was not, well, I don't know, child abuse. So I receive spanking. I don't hold it against my parents. I don't think they're bad people. I understand that it was their way of dealing with correcting behavior. They had certain principles about maintaining a certain discipline in the home. But I think today, enlightened parents have new sets of principles that say, I never spank my child. I never use abusive language. This is all good. It just changes and things are different. But again, it shows you that when you assume certain roles, whether it's a highfalutin one, like being a mayor or being a parent in a home with children, trying to just make sure they exhibit good behavior, your identity is challenged.
2: I I can even relate to how it changed. I think most of our child rearing days were probably in the 90s so I think I remember our rule was well only spank if their life is in danger or if they could burn themselves or but uh, then we've also had discussions and I can remember even having discussions well is that really the the right thing to do I- exactly so it it does change it does it does ebb and flow what else in the current events has has popped in you know we talked a little bit about Mayors and politics, but what else in the in current events for you?
1: The first section of the newspaper that I read each day is the sports. And right now, one of the big issues that has is come into play is the fact that we have these governing bodies, these bodies that are supposed to regulate how sports are conducted, how the athletes are looked after, taken care of. Being responsible to them. And after all of the recent USA gymnastics and AAU sports bodies and universities that allowed certain types of negative behavior toward women to occur, it's calling into question the integrity of the leadership of those people. And it can seem like, okay, we have to have a scapegoat. So. Let's convict Larry Nasser, a doctor involved in this. And we've shown that, yes, we're going to send him prison for consecutive life terms. And so there we've covered ourselves. But now people are saying, wait a minute, what about the leadership and the role, their identity as leaders in sports to do this? Now, we've had this happen before in sports because I can remember a pitcher named Sandy Koufax. Who, because his religious identity was so strong that he would say, I'm sorry, because of a Jewish holiday and my religion, I won't pitch on this particular day, even though it's a big game. We have Muhammad Ali, who also, because of religious convictions, was willing to be prosecuted and sent to prison. So they're human beings, but because of their own identities, because of religion, political beliefs, Or any other aspect, every other component of their identity, they knew that there would be a point in their lives when their principles might be challenged. There might be serious consequences, but they were confronted with a dilemma that really did not have the perfect solution. There was always going to be something that was just negative about what they would choose. So the sports field is still involved in. And I'm reading about this each day, it seems.
2: And, and we talked about the uh, Colin Kaepernick last week in the first episode. So one of the things that I came across had to do with a lawyer. So that it was an Atlantic article that I read recently about Erica Newland, Yale Law School grad. She went to work as an attorney advisor in the office for legal counsel in the Obama administration, but stayed uh, after the election. But one of the things that she found was that it became more difficult because the normal career path would just be to continue to do what she had been doing. But we all know with the current administration, that doesn't really cut it any longer. You, you have to have be, be cut kind of from a different breed, so to speak. And so the story relates, and, and this is just a, I want to talk about this because it's it's just a an example of integrity, I think. One day in the uh, last year, in sometime in May, she looked at this brief called uh, What You Need to Know About the Violent Animals of MS-13, and it was a, a document about the Central American gangs that was released, an official document released by the White House, but it bothered her. In the article or in that uh, re- release, their animals appeared 10 times in the short statement. So yes, they're they're talking about gangs. They're literally calling the people animals, or calling the, the the members or whoever these people were, or relating the undocumented. Actually, they were saying undocumented immigrants were in the face of the criticism from the White House. They were, you know, relating to them as animals, and that bothered her. So she went into the lunchroom where eight or so of her her friends were sitting around the table, and she uh, brought it up. She carried the document into the lunchroom and kind of put it on the table and asked some people about it immediately when she did that, one of her lawyer friends turned the document back over and said, Hey, just in case uh, I believe their boss comes in. So he doesn't think we're talking about this. And then she, uh, she turned it back over and she said, well, wait, this it's, it's a white house press release. And I'm, I'm happy to explain that it bothers me that people are are called animals 10 times in this release. And to her dismay, silence. No one said anything. It was like, no, that's you're you're not doing that. And the, the article says so. That's the last time she she joined her coworkers in the in the lunchroom. And of course, we know the rest of the story. She later later resigned. But I think it's an it's an example of integrity where she found something that said, well, wait a minute, this isn't right. I want to talk about this. I want to open a conversation just with my peers, just in the lunchroom. No, (laughs) that was a, this isn't a criticism about anything about the administration. It's real easy to do that. I'm just thinking about, this is an example of integrity where she wanted to have this conversation or bring this up. And this is, you know, I guess, lunchroom politics. It happens all the time in the workplace where you can go and sit in, sit and eat with someone And someone brings something up and you have to make that decision. Is it okay to talk about this? Is it not? And of course, like we said before, I think it relates to your identity and who you are and what decision you're going to make and whether or not to join in that conversation.
1: The lunchroom, just like here in Boston, riding the subway, is one of those democratic places where we can all sit together and express our thoughts and ideas And be in a room together and feel like we belong. We're all together here. One of the things about identity and sticking up for the principles that are aligned with your identity, when you're in an in group like that, hey, I'm one of the people at the table with my friends. I'm in the in group. Is if you choose to stand up to principles at times or raise an issue, you could all of a sudden become a member of the out group. Being an out-group in society as a whole or being the, a member in the, of the out-group at the table where everybody and your friends have just been alienated, this is one of the consequences of sometimes having to deal with who we are as people. Because remember, as I said, identity isn't just about the labels that we assign, like father, mayor baseball player etc it's also about state of mind in this moment when this occurred when this woman passed this out at the table and i saw that she wanted to raise this issue talking about animals who am i am i a person that says wow this is kind of a heavy thing but i'm going to do it anyway or am i a person that says no i don't want to have anything to do with that so i'll just hand the paper back to her absent myself from being involved in this. You know, these are these small moments that we all live when it takes a a little, you know, a little bit of courage. I'll say that uh, probably for me, being a teacher, that I know that it's embedded within the curriculum of teachers to raise issues of integrity within the American political system and history. We know this because It's written down on a piece of paper. It says in certain school systems that you're supposed to talk about the moral and ethical dilemmas of the Vietnam War. Should we get involved or not? The moral and ethical dilemmas of whether we shoot or employ or use nuclear missiles or not. I mean, this is very current right now. What does the United Nations and the most of the countries of the world say about using gas? On human beings. Chemical warfare, right? Who are we as a country at this very moment? So, again, it's those identity issues. And the reason that I mention this is because I read an article recently about a mayor in Hanau, Germany. And in Hanau, Germany, there had been a rise, and some of the Nazi uh, supported by their beliefs, these militants who basically went into a minority community and killed nine immigrants. The local community in this town, Hanau, came out and marched as a protest to show as a, as a support for all the immigrants that we don't like this kind of stuff. The mayor decided he was going to increase political presence in these immigrant communities. And immediately when that happened, he started getting graffiti outside his offices. He started getting death threats, even though he was just trying to be. A person who held to the principles of protecting everybody in the community, every aspect of the community. He was basically a person now who lived in fear because he had to suffer the consequences of standing up to principles. This can be some very tough stuff to remain true to the person that you really are, the role that you have within a community and society.
2: I'm hesitating because I, I want to go there. but and, and I think that story that you related in Hannah Germany, Germany uh, reminded me of when Trump made the statement, and, and I'm just going to say the statement. I think everyone's familiar, or they can Google it and look it up. Well, there's good people on both sides, and that outraged a large number of people. Whether he used the right words or not, the thing that struck me was if you pull that back, from the incident and you apply any type of moral or religious principles, I don't think Christianity has a, uh, a, a lock on the concept of uh, loving your enemy or, or uh, treating everyone with respect, whether you agree with them or not. And I think that's, the, that was, that's really the core principle. Was it said in the right way or at the right time? Probably not. I don't know. Is this is this integrity? Is this some is this valid as an integrity discussion? Certainly I, identity, but I stopped and think, well, yes, there there are so many people that are outraged and that's that's terrible. That's a terrible thing. He's a racist, he's a bigot. But when you step back and you say, well, let's let's look at this from both sides. What was he trying to say or what was the point that he was trying to get across or maybe he was or not, but I think you have to be able to, if you're going to have a conversation with someone who is a Nazi or someone who is a white supremacist, how do you do that? How do you have the integrity to say, okay, no matter what has been said, done, let's sit across from each other and talk about why you think the way you do. And I'll I'll relate one other, not current, but uh, local event here in San Antonio that took place in the 90s, that we, we actually had a gang peace summit. There's a couple of individuals who I know, uh, Ann Helmke and Mike Harrington, were instrumental, both uh, religious pastors, but they were instrumental in getting two rival gang members out of there. They, they were literally picked up in separate cars that night and brought to a neutral location. They sat in a room and faced each other and talked the result of that peace movement was did have an impact on gang violence in San Antonio where it was reduced but it came from those discussions and you have to relate and say that's having integrity that's having enough i don't know gumption to to do something like that but it's also it's also saying i'm committed enough about doing what i believe is right to not just say hey I'm going to tell you what's right, A, B, C, D, but I'm going to do something that you know no one else has ever done before. I'm going to sit across the table or get two people in the room and have them have a dialogue about what's right and what's not.
1: Well, I think you just mentioned embedded within what you were just saying about the importance of identity and language. Because one of the things that Certainly, I'm not the most articulate person at many times in the way I want to express myself. This is that when we are very high in leadership ranks in the country, you know, whatever you say is going to be broadcast to millions of people the next day, the next hour, the next couple of moments because of the immediacy of the media. And we have to be very careful with language. Having myself been involved in the 90s with the anti-violence movement by leadership in the city of Boston against gangs and trying to bring people to the table, we had to be very careful because sometimes there is loaded language that can be used and perceived by other people as a pejorative or negative against them. When you have a police officer standing in front of a group of community leaders and from those same communities having young, mostly African American and Latino men, and using the reference to them as when these young thugs are out on the street, my gosh, the reaction was palpable in that room. I can remember that moment when you knew that he had just used the wrong word to describe the identity of. People who are already stereotyped as, you know, if you're a young black male wearing a hoodie walking down the street at night, mm, for a lot of people, that's usually a negative perception of who you are and your identity. Yes, language is important in addressing these issues. It takes great courage because, let's face it, we're human beings. We're going to be imperfect. We're never going to have the right solutions. And human behavior is just so unpredictable.
2: I'm not an avid watcher but every now and then I'll I'll uh I'll watch some of the um police cam uh programs on uh, on TV that are streamed and uh now there's a live police where they go all over the country and you know here's what's happening now uh, but the the police cam I think gives you an interesting perspective because it's almost like an instant case study of integrity and identity Uh, But especially with law enforcement and you're literally in their shoes, you're walking, you're not even chasing A, a police officer is walking behind someone and they're, they're walking fast. They won't listen to him. He's, Hey, very politely. Why were you over at such and such place? I just want to talk to you. Could you please stop a minute? Several times, the person's got a jacket, hands in their pockets. They're walking maybe eight feet in front of them. So how does that police officer have integrity in that moment of choice. And the real question is, do they have the right reactions and can they react quick enough and in the right way and still have integrity or still be the police officer who's doing the, the right thing, male or female, it doesn't matter. And most now their first, not say weapon of defense is a stun gun. So they're not reaching for their pistol or or firearm anymore. They're reaching for a stun gun. Is it an equal playing field? Certainly not. There was, uh, you know, one program where, yeah, he stopped, turned around, pulled the gun out and started firing at the police officer. You have no defense against that. And incidentally, the police officer lived. But another one is, uh, you know, they deploy the, there's enough warning, the person's getting into a a stolen vehicle. So they deploy a uh, stun gun, but it doesn't work. And so now, now what they're, what they're faced with, and then how do you, it's just, to me, that's fascinating because you are in there, you're literally in their shoes and, and trying to decide what's the right thing to do. If I was in, you know, if I was a police officer and sworn to uphold the law, protect and serve, how do I handle that situation? The person's bigger than me. They're larger. Okay. They don't have their hands in their pocket. They're wearing a t-shirt. But that guy turns around, he could, and this, ha- this happened in this particular incident, just started punching the police officer. Bloody nose, falls to the ground, and, uh, if it, you know, no telling what would happen if his backup hadn't arrived. So there's all those kinds of scenarios. But let's, let's talk about that for a minute because I know you've had a lot of work
1: with police departments. Let me just interject and throw it back to you because I have mentioned several times about being a teacher. And about how many of these issues have come up in the classroom, come up in teaching with law enforcement, as a engineer, as a scientist, so to speak, in a different direction. Have you seen how dilemmas in your sense of identity and integrity have affected you and your work?
2: As a web designer for AT and T and a UX designer, so that's user experience. I think. We're faced with that quite a bit because design integrity has to do with those with those areas that not a lot of people really I don't want to say care about, but it's not critical. So the whole choice, the the litmus test when you're updating a a website is: is it working? Is it broken? Uh, Is it legally accurate? And pass that you know if if uh, a user can use it well that's good and if it looks good and it follows the standards oh man you've you've really done it but when it comes down to the nuts and bolts of making money and not making money you're in a decision making testing uh, discussion about okay how many defects do we have in this release how many things are wrong with this part of the website can we fix those yes no These are critical. We have to fix them for legal reasons. The website's broken. It won't work. So we have to fix that. Well, what about the uh, font size and the style of the buttons? Oh, let's just, we'll fix that after the release. That sounds, you know, kind of humorous and something that, oh yeah, you know, okay, who's going to worry about that? What difference does it make? But there's the rub. How many times would you go and pay a bill at your utilities website or your phone or, you know, fill in the blank? When you can't find the right button or one time this would look gray. Now it's black. It's this time it's in a different place and wait on this other page, the legal text was in this uh, secondary window, but now it's down here at the bottom. And if I just hit forward or continue, I'm agreeing to that. Is that so now the design of the page, the integrity of the design makes a difference. Um, just yesterday, a page uh, on our website was looked at as uh, something that had to warn people that, hey, your, your email uh, is changing and you have to do A, B, C, and D, continue. And it was very successful, but what I brought up was it wasn't styled correctly. And there may be some accessibility issues in the styling. Accessibility, meaning people with visual impairments or hearing impairments, when they interact with a website have to be able to use either screen readers or secondary devices, or they can't use a mouse and click. They have to use tab or they have to use voice commands. And so the way the page is built has to comply to those standards. And when it doesn't, then you're failing those people. Are they a large percentage? No, but they're an important percentage. You know, we all know about accessibility in restaurants anywhere you go now having handicap accessible well it's the same with a website you have to have that integrity of the design to make sure you're meeting the accessibility requirements so yeah the integrity in design is has been there for years and it's something that in the 20 years over 20 years now that I've spent in corporate web design it's a vital part of it it's it's but it's also a struggle because you're constantly having that battle you're fighting up against This is low cost and a quick fix, but is it important? Should it be done now? I always refer to what I call the uh, deferred defect graveyard. It's uh, user experience defects that are deferred to the next release and never to be seen again. And what happens six, seven years, literally later, many years later, many weeks, sometimes just a, a month or so, you find something that Wow, is that page still up? It still looks like that. It's still being used. How do people navigate through that? Is that even, does it it doesn't look anything like our site does today, but it still eh, works for most people. So it's left out or it's left up. Most of the time at that point, yes, they are, they are taken care of, but definitely integrity and design or UX design. I have to qualify
1: that. You mentioned my law enforcement background. I was very fortunate to be involved with teaching law enforcement officers, over 22,000 of them, actually, over uh, several years. And it was probably very fortunate for me because I learned something about human behavior, but I also learned something about myself. It wasn't just about them. So let me tell you a very personal story about this idea of what integrity can mean, the challenges to it, and how, as human beings, we all struggle with these issues. I was asked to go to California and work with the Border Patrol there to talk about just this same topic, integrity, adhering to certain principles of what it means to be a law enforcement officer, a person of integrity and justice and honor and courage. And those are all hard to define sometimes. But at the beginning of each session, I always Tell them, because this is very important, that I will adhere to confidentiality. So that if there are things spoken in that room, I will not disclose them to anybody. Because, you know, many times people fear that leadership might hear something and take that as a, as a negative or a criticism. And even though leaders shouldn't do this, might try to exact some revenge on people who speak in certain ways. I wanted, not just I wanted, I had to do this so that there would be some honesty in that room about human beings talking with each other, and they could remove their kind of law enforcement facades or masks and just talk about being human beings. Now, I have to admit, when you're standing in front in a room in front of 80, mostly men, in green uniforms and guns, it's kind of intimidating for me, but at the same time, it wasn't about me. We're talking about some of the challenges that day. you go along with law enforcement. And I never say, does anybody have a dilemma that they've confronted? No, I want them to feel compelled to talk about what they know. One of the things that one of the officers, you know, kind of reluctantly raised his hand and said, I had an experience and I think it's about having a dilemma. So I said, oh, well, please tell us about it. Evidently, down the southern border at San Ysidro, California, car had driven through the gates, past the guard post, speeding, and was going up IH 5 in California. Well, immediately, there were some cars dispatched to chase those quote unquote suspects to try and stop them. The chase continued for miles and miles and miles and some of the cars dropped off at that time there were no exact policies about when to drop off on a chase but what happened during this chase with the two op border patrol occupants one of them who was standing in front of me telling me the story was the car in front of them with the people who had run past the guard post at the border turned off and they were driving into a community called Temecula, California. Temecula, California, in the morning, right about the time that school was opening. Long story short, some children in the crosswalk in front of their school were hit by this speeding car and three children died. Now, as this officer, as this agent, Border Patrol agent, is telling the story, I'm beginning to see that his eyes are watering and he's beginning to weep. His dilemma, as he tried to talk about, was do I keep on chasing them or do I stop? And his words were, and let them get away. If the title of your role is law enforcement officer, if that's your identity when you're wearing that uniform and that badge, And you have some sense of, I'm gonna enforce the law and catch the bad people. But a dilemma occurs when there's something else that challenges that, what about safety? What about in the pursuit of getting the bad people to do something that could be unsafe for other people in the community? That's a real dilemma. In this case, involved life and death where this officer had to make some choices in the middle of this high-speed chase and all of a sudden, in the minute, in the moment when he was speaking this, he started to weep. The room was silent. Now it shifted from him to me. I had a dilemma. In my role as facilitator or teacher in that moment, my dilemma was, well, we want honesty. We want truth. We want to create dialogue with people being able to speak. But do I have a responsibility, on the other hand? To him and to other people in that room, to have a room that is safe for people to speak, even when human emotions grab a hold of them, do I have a role to try and protect them? Well, at that moment, I knew I had to do something. And so basically, I asked a question because the question is neutral. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about them. I said, Did you ask it of him or of the class? I asked it of the class. Okay. I wasn't going to ask it on him because I didn't want the focus to be back on him.
2: Right, right.
1: I had to broaden it. I had to back up, so to speak, but not just say, well, okay, let's move on to the next topic after break. So I said, what's happening here? I looked everybody in the eye and I wanted their perspective. What's happening in this room at this moment? And I said, take out a piece of paper. (laughs) Just jot down. What do you see happening in this moment? Is with any class, some people are going to say, oh, yeah, let me take a piece of paper and write down some. And some people kind of looked at me and said, duh, in their minds. And other people were just kind of deciding. But, you know, in a room like that, all it takes is you look around the room and what everybody else is doing, you know, <laughs> because we want to belong. We want to be part of the group. We take out a piece of paper and start doing what the group does. And they wrote down their impressions. It gave me the thing that I most needed at that time. I just needed some time because I didn't know exactly what to do. And that moment while they were writing, and sometimes we can do this when faced with a dilemma. Sometimes we can't. We need just a few few moments carved out in time to say, all right, let me think, how am I going to do this? And I walked up to him and I just said, I can tell this was a difficult moment. You know, if you want to Go uh, grab a cup of coffee, get some water right now. Uh, uh, You've got a few moments to do that. And I gave him kind of an escape so he wasn't quite on the spot. And then we did one of the most important things because you know thinking is an activity. And sometimes to think about the dilemmas that we're confronted with, to think about what our principles really mean and how much we would go through to stand up for them. Just to think about that. That's a very important thing to do because a lot of times it's just too heavy, and we don't want to even. We're going to walk away from it, get a million miles away. Don't we don't want to? And many of the comments were very interesting, which I didn't read until later. Although some people did volunteer, and it was very reassuring, because basically what the few people who commented, without being forced to, said was, you know, sometimes your greatest sense of identity is. I'm just a human being. I've been perfect. I make mistakes. I don't know how to handle this. You know, when you put on a uniform with a badge on it, and you are out there standing on the border at two o'clock in the morning or in a in a car chasing some suspects, for all everybody's concerned about, you are the United States government. Man, it is all on your shoulders. And most of those people, they just said, Sometimes we just want people to recognize how difficult the sense of we're also having a dual identity. We're also human beings and parents and husbands and fathers. And let's not overlook that. I needed to be in that room that day to learn something about them, to learn something about myself but also to hear that story and recognize that when I see now law enforcement officers, I know that this idea of dignity is important, but sometimes we're also just human beings and we make mistakes.
2: I can't think of anything better to, to, to end this episode on because that's just, that's at the core of it. It, it, it doesn't matter what the answer to the question is. Did he keep driving? Did he stop? How would you handle it? It's the fact that Whatever happens, you're just human. You're going to you. You have to decide in the moment of choice, on the spur of the moment. It's impossible to have a hundred percent success rate. It's never going to happen. You're going to make mistakes. I, I just think that's at the uh, that's at the that's at the core of of integrity. It's at the core of when you have to make those decisions that affect five people. Ten people versus a hundred people, or a thousand people versus fifty thousand people, or a city versus a county, then you you have to go back to the the principles, your principles, and you have to go back to what is right for the greater good, and like you said, Jim, how do you live up to the 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 principles that you were sworn to uphold or that's that's part of your your duty, or in this case, uh, identity as a law enforcement officer or a, or a police officer?
1: We all have our identities. And sometimes within the definition of those identities, we have to act. We have to act as a teacher. We have to act as the president of the United States. We have to act as a candidate running for office. We have to act as a person who's on the street today making a decision to help a little old lady cross. The challenge is, is that actions have consequences. And those consequences have to be something that we live with because sometimes we don't know how to make the best choice and have a consequence occur that we can make a little softer. Sometimes it's just going to be a difficult consequence. My hope is is that people in listening to us, sometimes in our inarticulate way, is, is that we like to look at current events and news to be informed citizens, but at the same time, embedded within these stories are human beings trying to grapple with life and just being a good person. And maybe by doing that, we can connect to what we read. And as I stated at the beginning and going back to it, we'll not just see a bunch of words black and white on a page. To be a person at any level of some integrity. Can be a really challenging role in our identity.
2: Jim, thank you. And I looked ahead and realized episode three is law enforcement, so it'll be easy to pick up there. We can uh, we ended with a law enforcement story, and I'm sure we'll we'll delve more into that uh, next time when we meet. Thank you so much for your time, Jim, and thanks everyone uh, for yours and for listening in. We'll see you next week. Thank you, everybody. Thanks. Take care. Bye. Well, there you have it. We hope you'll be a part of this conversation as we share our thoughts and ideas. Our goal, as Jim said, is to make you think. Well, after you've thought about each topic, reach out to us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Having New Eyes Podcast. Use the hashtag #HavingNewEyes New Eyes or just HNE. And join us in the Season 1 dialogue as we explore topics like identity, integrity, law enforcement, and immigration. Thanks for listening.
0: You've been listening to Having New Eyes, a podcast by Bob Hotard and Jim Jones. Download Having New Eyes on Apple Podcasts, Google Play for Android, Spotify, TuneIn and Stitcher Radio, or on any of your favorite podcast apps. Jim thanks the many students over the decades who were his teachers on a human level. Yes, he was making mental notes. Bob would like to thank his family and the many coaches, teachers, and mentors for the support, encouragement, and inspiration. Find him on Twitter at BobHWebDesign. Some portions of today's program may have been pre recorded. Music by Jay Kleiner from the album I Am Me. Live from the living room. Stream Jay's music on SoundCloud.com. HE is recorded in San Antonio, Texas at the studios of Game Day Media Enterprises. Audio Engineer is Jason Barrera. Executive producer Bob Hotard. All rights reserved. I'm Becky Steinmetz. Remember, the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes.